This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have the one and only it's not Cobbly, it's Colby, Colby Tunick from Refocus AI. What's up, man? Hey, David. Hey, Kyle. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. What's happening? We were just talking, Kyle. Colby is out there in San Diego, the Tampa of the West. Yes. Never Have been. Have you been? I've been, to, I've been to several other places in California, but not San Diego. <laughs> San Diego. San Diego. Well, <laughs> It's the, yeah. the one place everybody wants to retire, apparently. Or is that Tampa? I get them mixed up all the time. It's, it's anywhere in Florida, honestly, right. man. It's it's crazy. But um you know, I really I really liked it out there. It, it's very it's it's very, very like there's so much about it that is similar to Tampa. You know, not identical. It's got its own flavor and everything, but um just the ethnic diversity and the quality of the food and the different. Good I food. mean, I've, I've listen. I judge any place I go based on the quality of the food that I consume in large quantities while there. It's an important. I mean, it's it's an important aspect of any geographical location. It absolutely. is absolutely. So, Colby, give us a little bit of background, man. Tell us kind of where you came from and and how you got to where you're at. And then I want to jump into refocus and hear everything you're doing with that. Yeah, sure. So I actually started out in the defense and space industry doing consulting for large companies going through digital transformation, innovation. And I ended up after that working for the second largest single line natural catastrophe insurance company in the world called the California Earthquake Authority. And so before that, I had no real exposure to the insurance industry and ended up going and working for a super cool carrier focusing on residential earthquake insurance and learned everything I know working there. And while I was there, one of the interesting things that was happening was this push to try to use data to understand trends. And you can imagine a very large insurance carrier has very large amounts of data and most companies just really aren't set up to use them in their business decision-making, business processes at any level from you know producers all the way up to the executive team. So uh, ultimately, uh, starting with that, ended up getting into uh, the retention side of insurance, and that's what Refocus AI does now. So that's the journey. It's been fantastic over the last three and a half, almost uh, probably closer to five years. And you know, I, I don't think of any other industry that's more fun to be in than insurance. You all like to golf, so it's good with me. <laughs> Well, Kyle loves golfing. I like to go out and just hang out. I'm I'm not much of a golfer, but you know when it's good when for- we were talking about the scorecard thing last episode that we were recording with the insurance soup guys, I was like, how? I mean, every scorecard that you have never makes it either out of the cart or past the garbage can. So it's like many times I, it's not even filled out. <laughs> true, like maybe four like, four like, holes like, and then you take a few yeah. off and then. 
Yeah, dude, but we like we have to get out and play. It's kind of like I'm, I'm like actually the world's I'm getting, best I'm getting a, golfer. Honestly, I'm getting a little bit annoyed that we haven't played in as long as it's been. I know you've had shoulder issues and whatever, but I'm, no, I'm, I'm good excuses. with that stuff now. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm good with that stuff now. And actually, I bought. Um, I have the golf game on my new Oculus that I got. My problem is that we broke it out when we were in Key West and I started playing the climb too. And I just about broke myself like falling, like literally falling in a wide open living room because I thought yeah. I was like falling backwards. Big tree this cliff, man. It's crazy how much it messes with you. Like, I, it is very like, weird. I knew I was- Did you do the one where you were walking out on the plank, like off the high, the high rise skyscraper or whatever? No, I was literally doing. I was like on the side of a mountain, climbing and trying okay. to get to the end. It is, so it's, there's it's this really one, cool, man. I love it. It, it is interesting. Yeah, I've got the Oculus. Um, oh, it's on it's, now. It, it yeah, it is it, so it's, on. It's very interesting though. But the one I'm talking about is you basically walk out of like an elevator door and you're on the a millionth floor of this high rise and you're just like looking over this plank and it like you're like supposed to jump. And I'm just standing there. I, I, like, up, I couldn't. I couldn't jump. And Elise, like, <laughs> she, she like kicked me, and I was just like, <laughs> and just like fell to yeah. the ground, like in a massive panic. So we should have a recorded version of me, you, Bradley, and Scott playing around of golf because they so have it. Bradley and Scott. I need to get the, like, to get the golf app because as I well. haven't. <laughs> nice. I haven't. I, I I did not download that, so I need to get back in there and see what's up with that. I haven't even played it yet. I just have it, so I'm gonna warm that. I'll okay. warm up with what's that first. But I knew you were gonna ask me. I'll have to send it to you. Offline. The only one that I saw was like a miniature golf one, and that's not gonna work for me. Mm. I need some sort of like regular golf simulator, but. Yeah, Anyways. it'll be interesting to see what it looks like. So, Colby, talk to us about refocus, man. I mean, because we need to refocus, or we'll be sitting here talking about video games and golf all day. <laughs> no, I don't know what else uh, there is to talk about, really. But maybe we should be talking about metaverse insurance because it sounds like you all are going to be breaking yourselves here with these VR goggles. But yeah. uh, so, refocus, refocus exists to do one thing, and that's to flag the clients that are most likely to leave at the renewal or expiration date up to six months before, and. We're working with lots of mutual carriers that work with independent agents. We're working with a lot of independent agents because one thing that I know you've talked about, David, I've seen lots of videos uh, of you speaking about, you know, how do you set up a renewals process? How do you set up a renewals desk? How do you, you know, keep customers from churning? Oftentimes, though, it's just kind of the back of the pile. It's the last thing that people focus on. And because of that, there's a lot more churn than perhaps there, there would otherwise be. So by knowing the individuals who are likely to leave, like I said, up to six months before, our clients are now able to add value additions to that insurer, to that policy, to retain them in, in ways they otherwise wouldn't be able to. And so uh, that's really where machine learning is, is meeting the insurance industry in an incredible way. So is that data from like an NPS score or I'm sure we'll get into this and, you know, I'm not looking for you to give away all the secret sauce, but I mean, how it's some sort of predictive analytics, I would imagine that's allowing you to figure out who's likely to leave six months in advance. Yeah. So it's, it's always a great question. Where does the data come from? And the data comes from you. Uh, ultimately the data comes from our clients. They already have everything they would ever need to uh, to predict this sort of thing in their agency management system. And so we either sit on top of the agency management system or they're able to just run a report, give us the information through email because not every agency management system is extensible, unfortunately, these days, and that's a whole other topic. Uh, <laughs> but between those two uh, solutions or mechanisms, our companies just last quarter were able to retain over 4,000 uh, policyholders that would have otherwise churned. And so that was really exciting for us having only really been in the market now for six months to already be seeing those great numbers across our initial users. Interesting. So is that a primary, like that's the primary goal is to just completely annihilate retention issues in agencies. We annihilate attention. Never, never lose another client. Uh, what, obviously that's not really possible, but what we've just found is that looking through all of these different agency management systems, trying to cross or upsell, within three months of the policy renewal is the least likely time for that to be a successful effort. 
So with so many people using that as their retention mechanism, right, trying to get above that mythical, what is it, like 2.6 policies? If you can't do that within the normal retention period, when can you do that? And because we're able to predict up to six months out, now it's actually possible to retain in a way that was never possible before. And so I, I like that. Annihilate retention. I mean, hopefully that's the that's the outcome for, for the industry as a whole. I just bought the domain for it, actually. <laughs> I'll pay you a thousand. There you go. Yeah, but I, I think it's interesting because I think there, you know, there are a lot of, a, I shouldn't say a lot. There are several people out there right now that that's what they're kind of doing their, their deal around is just really focusing on retention. And I think it's an interesting strategy because a, a lot of the agencies out there are only focused on new business, right? And they just, they outsell their problems They or they think they can outsell their problems. Yeah, but I mean, it's and, way more you know, expensive to pick up a new client than to retain somebody. Hundred percent, but I'm not. Look, I'm not saying that I disagree with that. I, I yeah. would tell you that I don't think my peer group or our peer group looks at that. Honestly, I think hmm. they look. They they spitball a number. You know, it may not even be accurate because they have marginal data to begin with, and then when they eyeball it, they're like, "Yeah, it's not too bad. We can roll with that." Because they 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 know that if they're losing. 20%, they're gaining 30% or whatever. So they're looking at a net new number when really, if they're playing their game right, that net new number could be, you know, 30%, 35%, 40%, you know, and not have nearly the retention. So I don't know. It, it, it's it's always interesting to see. Our model at our agencies is just a little bit different. So, I, you know, I can honestly say, and I'm sure Kyle will corroborate this, we just don't have retention issues. You know, we right. don't we don't lose accounts when they come in, but it's because of the approach that we have. It's a much different yeah. what we do at Florida Risk Partners is completely different than what some of my good friends like Billy Wagner is one of my, is a good friend of mine has a huge personal lines agency over on the other coast of Florida. Billy is also, you know, just churning and burning constantly quoting, you know, multiple lines, cross-selling. I mean, the dude's an absolute animal. I would fail miserably in his environment. It's just not what I like to do. It's not what excites me. It's not what I, you know, my skill set is not around that. And so mm. when I hear when I hear stuff like that, my my thought process is it, it automatically goes to, well, you should just take better care better care of your clients and they won't leave you. Well, it's easy to say because for us in the middle market, if we put 25 or 30 new accounts on in a year, that's a banner year. Mm-hmm. You know, most agencies are looking to do that a week, you know, or more mm-hmm. depending, you know, on what it is that they're that they're moving, but if if they're moving personal lines or whatever, they've got to have high volume numbers and I would think that if there was a way for you to use machine learning or software to identify how you can slow down if not quote unquote annihilate, you know, retention <laughs> issues, then you know you're going to have to manually do that. And it's physically impossible. There's just no way, man. And so when I think about the people that I know that are out there and, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say that Donna for agents is strictly limited to being a retention tool, but it certainly helps with what they're doing using, you know, voice recognition on the phone and agency management system analytics and some other things. And, you know, they were the ones that I heard of first that were going down this road. So it's interesting, you know, that you've carved this out. What what made you decide to focus on retention instead of doing what everybody else does and go out and just try and develop a new CRM or, you know, some sort of a system for lead generation or new business development? Sure. Well, let's be honest. Trying to do any sort of API integration in the insurance space is extremely time consuming and difficult. And it's probably going to cost an arm and a leg. The second thing that we have to think about is anytime you're trying to do a process or procedure change, right? I mean, that's something not only do you have to retrain your entire team on, but that's undoing years of muscle memory, right? And that could be adding another portal. I mean, how many portals do your team already have, right? I would guess three or four, plus all the different carrier systems they're logging into to quote and possibly bind, plus, you know, any claims management system. So, I mean, by the end of the day, you're not really just adding another portal to the process. You're adding a lot of headaches to the process. And so that's why for us, being able to just transact with our our customers over email is is such a big deal because who doesn't have a business email and who can't send 
something over their business email, right? It's something you do every day. Why this space? We actually started uh, focusing on uh, cross-selling and upselling. It's something that we do extremely well. But at the end of the day, the thing that insure is provide the most information for or of is when they're a customer, meaning you have more information than you ever will once you bind with once you bind them to your business. And so that is a data set that's perfect for trying to understand user behavior. And so that's where we really chose to focus. Also, for the great reason you pointed out, acquiring a new customer is infinitely more expensive and difficult than just retaining one that you already have. Uh, so for the people using our software, they're able to save you know an hour or two a day for people that are focusing on retention because they can really target the ones that are the most valuable to the to the agency or the brokerage. I mean, not every policyholder is equal, right? You may have policyholders, theoretically, maybe we shouldn't say it, you don't want to retain, and that's okay. But what about the ones that you do that are, you know, not problematic at all, that are great customers to have? And if there's a likelihood that they're going to turn, don't you want to know six months before so that you can talk with them, you can add value to their account, you can make sure that they're satisfied? And that's what it comes down to. It's really about raising the flag so that people on the ground floor that are doing retention know where they should be spending their time and ultimately making them more effective. So most so of talk the a little that, bit about, the, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. Go. I was just going to ask if most of the people that are reaching out to you are, are actively having these retention problems or if it's something that um, they are trying to get out ahead of, like, what's the, what, I mean, what's the, I see you laughing, David. I don't know why. That's yeah, my funny, retention but. is fifth. My my retention is fifty three percent. Can you help me? That's what I was laughing <laughs> well, at. I know. Like, but how that's bad what I'm does it really? Yeah, I'm interested as to how bad it really gets out there. Right. Uh, we've heard of retention through some of our integrations that are as poor as sixty percent. Mm. Uh, now. That's not anything that, you know, that we've never gotten the call and says, I have retention of 60%, please help me. Those people really should be calling us, but they're happy doing business the way they're doing it. And, and obviously, uh, we may agree to disagree with that, with that thought process. Most of the people we work with have retention between 80 and 90%. However, we also have people we work with that have retention is, you know, above 95%. And the reason is we can recognize right now that this is an amazing time to sell insurance, right? The market is hot. It's the economy is booming. There's more, you know, green dollar bills floating around than, you know, almost any time in recent memory. But how long is this good time going to last? How long is it going to be before the market starts to contract and people cut down on their coverage and businesses start to go out of business again? And so right, we have these cycles and right now we're, we're, we're cruising towards the top, but eventually we're going to go down. So we have people that have like 95 plus percent retention that are like, hey, we really don't have a retention issue today, but if A, we can make our team more efficient by recapturing an hour or two right now, and B, set ourselves up to kill it when the market becomes a lot more competitive and we know everyone's going to be struggling with retention, that's where we want to be, and that's why we want machine learning to help us get ahead of that. Interesting. So what's the average mix like of the agencies? Is this primary personal lines? Is it personal, small commercial, or is it across the board? Yeah, so we do small mid-market commercial and personal right now. That's primarily uh, both the carriers and the brokers we work with. It also works for you know mid to large commercial. But when you think about those sorts of accounts, anything over a hundred thousand dollars in premium per year, they're really they're really not moving that much, right? Those companies move really slow, and they're really not going to go and farm quotes out every twelve months. So those accounts don't need the sort of assistance that that we provide. They don't. Uh, we deal with, like I said, small to mid market. So where things just aren't as sticky by the nature of price tending to be the key differentiating factor. Uh, so what does it look like though in the retention world? Most people are averaging about 85% retention is what we're seeing uh, for personal and commercial. That's about the average. Uh, obviously some lines of business may be more, some lines may be less. Some companies we work with kill it, like I said, over 95%. But uh, most people are churning at about 15% uh, per per year. So if their growth goal is 30%, that means they, you know, that's a lot more selling they have to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. So I'm also interested in how much you're moving the needle, right? 
so I know you've only how long is the how long have you actually been in the marketplace outside of beta and actually getting after it? Uh, last fall, so I would say you know uh, August September somewhere in there was when we started rolling out to some of our initial clients. Uh, and to answer your Got question, it. how much we move the needles? So it, it's it's something well, I'm, like I'm, I'm just wondering: is there even been enough time for you to measure that yet? You know, to to get a really a really accurate number. I'm sure you've seen some good forward progress. I mean. You weren't going to come on my podcast and say, well, we found out that our invention sucked and we decided that we're, I mean, so I, I know you're doing okay with it. I'm just interested in. Um, sure. I can give you, you a know, carrier example. Uh, sure. You know, a, a carrier on the West Coast, we're working with their mutual. They write in about five states. Uh, we looked at specifically their, their home book. Um, so that was their, you know, one thing that we started with. And they had about uh, $10 million in churn every year in their home book. And so we were able to save two and a half million. So 25% of what they had been churning, we were able to retain, which is huge for them. Oh, yeah. And we expect as we continue on with them, we'll move from a much more predictive analytics capability to a prescriptive analytics capability. Because to be fair, not everybody gathers the information that they need in order to get prescriptive analytics. And so that's where we're heading with them. And we think we can probably get just north of 50%. So retain it, you know, five million policies every year that they had been losing before us. That's that's where we're trying to go. What's something you thought you knew, but since the fall you have realized maybe that is not the case? So originally, and I think I mentioned this earlier, we were focusing more on the sales side. So um, how can you identify cross-sell, upsell opportunities? Who who's going to purchase what next and why? And ultimately, we were talking with a lot of companies that were just, you know, gangbusters growing. So these are 250 to $500 million brokerages, carriers, things like that. And they're growing at 45 to 50% a year. We're like, we'll help you grow 10% more. And they're like, well, we don't need it. And that was really shocking to us and our team because we're like, you don't want to grow more. They're like, we're growing faster than we can handle it anyway. So, you know, maybe when we get to a billion dollars and, you know, our, our customer acquisition costs go up and we really, you know, are struggling to hit our growth goals, like then come back and talk to us. So that was a real shock. And that was one of the things that made us focus on retention because we realized that, okay, if they're growing at 45%, but they're churning at 30%, they're much more worried about that 30% churn, right? Because that's really what's eating into their profits, not the fact that they're growing, you know, exponentially year over year. So that was something we learned that I honestly uh, was not expecting. It was, was a shock for us. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I know that you are out there now looking to to get some level of support from you know an incubator accelerator type arrangement. Possibly, I don't know. Are you are you guys looking for funding right now too? So for us right now, we're self funded. So the the co founding team, it's you know bootstrap plus early customer revenue. For for us, we see it being more advantageous for us to work with either a strategic accelerator or just continue to, you know, fund ourselves off our customer revenues because we want to stay laser focused on what helps brokers, not what, you know, some outside investment firm is going to think is the best strategy when it comes to technology and roadmap. Yeah. I mean, the longer you can stay self-funded, the better you are, man. I, you know, I'm a big fan of not asking for other people's money, period. I'm also a big fan of investing in InsureTech. So, you know, there's that, but you know, it's an interesting, you guys, how, you've, you've only been doing this for how many years, man? I mean, you, you come from the defense industry, which I think is interesting in and of itself. Cause I'm, I'm somewhat ingrained in that industry. That's one of the classes of business that I go after is department of defense contractors, because we have a ton of it here, you know, and obviously mm -hmm. you guys have what you have at least a Naval base in San Diego. I'm sure you have more than that, right? Four. We have four bases in, in San Diego County. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, surprise wow. me. Yeah, again, Tampa of the West, man. It's it's, it's just like seeing yeah. McDill. We both got right. palm trees. Yeah, so we've actually been around for two and a half years. We started in September of 2019. And so if you go back in your, in your, your memory banks, what happened three months after that was the whole world shut down due to uh, a global pandemic. And so we actually just spent the first year and a half building out the software, working really closely with early adopters to 
you know, understand their data, which was something that I think sets us apart. And when I mean understand their data, we would do what's called an exploratory data analysis. So we'd have our chief data scientist, Dr. Nassar Hundewal, and he would literally sit there and review all of their data for them and tease out all of these great insights and what's possible and how accurate can we be and do that, you know, far and beyond what you would get now from just, you know, a plug-in SaaS software. And so that's how we spent our first year and a half. And so then we really hit the market selling middle of last year and then really focused on retention towards the end of last year. And since then, it's been wonderful. Um, yeah, I think what you're talking to when you talk about the accelerators, we applied to Broker Tech Ventures, we didn't get in, which was a little bit heartbreaking because we had been speaking separately to like five or six of the partners that fund that program. And they were all interested in us and saying, well, if you want to work with us, get in. Because this is how they set up their innovation pipeline. And a lot of companies don't really have a great way of bringing innovation into the organization. Broker Tech Ventures is a great program. I'm so happy for the 12 cohort companies that were just announced for this cycle that did get in. But There were some interesting companies in there, man. Yeah. Like Zylo. I was like, why is Zylo worried about going into Broker Tech Ventures? That's a name that I've heard for a couple of years. In and they're San Diego-based. Yeah, interesting. Well, and my good friend Todd Tams from Mod Advisor did get in, and I'm happy to see that. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it just goes to to show though that when you have innovation, you often and you're growing quickly. What they're looking for is how they can reduce the number of systems they're using. Right? Again, it's like how can we cut down the number of portals? Right? How can we do more and our main agency management system. And it seems like for a lot of the companies that got into Broker Tech Ventures this time around, that was really the, the, the it seemed like that might've been the theme or the thesis of the companies that got in. So again, really happy for them. Uh, but you know, the sky's the limit. Obviously the insurance industry is rapidly innovating and it's an exciting time to be here. Yeah, I can tell you as far as limiting the number of systems, like that's a major, major focus for me personally. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, we use HubSpot. If if I can get Ivan's downloads it's into HubSpot, I will never have an agency management system again because right now everything's duplicate entry for us and mm. HubSpot is actually more valuable to me. And, and look, I love I love Hawksoft. I love my agency management system, but what I don't love is doing the same thing in two different places at some point. And that's that's going to be a problem. So maybe maybe I'll really luck out and Hawksoft will announce that they've got a HubSpot integration now. But you know the other problem is that you know every I think every agency out there has that one system that they've really built their business around that they've heavily invested in that you're never going to be able to pull them away from, and that's HubSpot for us. I mean at this point. We're three hundred thousand yeah. dollars deep into a custom in. build out. We're not going anywhere, <laughs> right? And I mean, I'm an investor in Better Agency. I'm going to Better Agency's conference, but I can't be a user for Better Agency because I'm married to HubSpot at this point. I can cheer them on. I can recommend them to the agencies where it makes sense, and I can hope you know I, I can hope that they do very very well, and I think that they will. But I, I don't think that I'm different from other agency principals because you have the people that, you know, have invested a lot into Applied Epic and maybe the Salesforce integration from there. You're not going to get them to move. And the other problem is you're not going to get them to add things if it means you have to go somewhere else to access it. It's just not going to happen. If, if, if I can integrate everything with one spot, I'm home free. You know, I'm happy to look at that. But, you know, texting application, all of that, I don't even, I, it has to be integrated with HubSpot for me to be able to pull the trigger, period. That's it. Yeah. And I think that it's not just you. We were, I mean, I take calls all the time and, you know, you always ask, what's your biggest problem? And they initially say, well, I have 20 different systems my team uses plus carrier portals. And they're just like, it, it's so duplicative. It's There's so many errors. We're, we're manually keying everything 20 different times. Plus, then we still get paper files that we have to you know translate in. And it's it's really a big issue in the insurance space only because most of the, the, the older, more established agency management systems don't make it easy to partner with them. You know, I can say from a, from a startup kind of insure tech perspective, we've been knocking on Vertifor's door, regardless of what you think on Vertifor now, for almost two years. 
Like, hey, can we get some information on the Orange Partner Program? How does this work? Can't like, okay, maybe we got a call with them, but then they went radio silence after that. And again, nothing against Vertifor itself. I know they're very busy over there. But if the desire of the system users are to have a single system for all different parts of transacting your business, why aren't they making it easier? Why are they fighting against this sort of single system that plugs in into a bunch of different places? And once we figure that out as an industry, I think we'll all be a lot better off. You know, I wonder how much of it is that they're not they're, they're they're looking at fighting it versus they just have to deal with what they've got and get it right before they can start bringing more chefs into the kitchen, man. You know, I don't use any Vertifor product. I I know I've got friends that work there, Rick Fox, Sydney Rowe, you know, Cat Turnies from uh, Agency Zoom when they sold. I I know, you know, people over in Vertifor's leadership and I do feel like it's not limited to them. Let's call out the three that are really trying to lead the charge right now. You have Vertifor, you have Applied, and somehow Zywave thinks they belong in the mix, but they don't have half the stuff that they need to be in the room with the other two. They're, they want to be in that room, and I think they're making the moves to try and be in that room, but predominantly we're talking about Vertifor and Applied in most cases at this point. And so, you know, when I look at the strategy right now, I think they're I think they are going that route in terms of looking at some of the acquisitions that they've made to this point. And so my question would be if I had, you know, somebody from the 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 C-suite of Vertifor that I was talking to, I would ask them is your is your model right now that you want to partner or do you want to acquire? Cuz I think it's probably more along the acquisition standpoint. I watched this same thing happen in pharma. We've seen the same thing happen in med devices where so far it used to be that you would go to a pharma company and they would have a massive R&D department. They would have a huge research and development department. Somewhere along the line, somebody figured out that if you're a, a scientist that is going to invent a novel drug, you're probably only going to have one good idea in your entire career. Like you're going to have a lot of bad ones, but you're only going to have one that hits big. And so you're spending money to have these highly paid people on staff to invent and develop and everything else. Well, they figured out it's cheaper to let these people go and do it on their own. Let them be a small company. Let them get into the University of Florida incubator or the University of Central Florida or USF. Let them get some angel and VC funding behind them and get the ball down to the ro- down the road. Maybe even get clinical trials or or a subset of them out of the way. And now we're going to come gobble them up, we'll right? We're gonna, we're going to buy them. It is it's going to cost us a chunk of change to do that but not nearly as much as if we had brought all of that R&D internally. And yeah, I don't think that it's a bad strategy. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad strategy in the insure tech community. And I know you don't want to hear this probably as the guy that's the you know bootstrapped, self-funded startup. But I, I think that if I'm on the acquiring side, I want to see some of this technology flesh out. I want to see that it's going to get down the road a little bit. And when it does, I'll be there ready to make an offer that that person can't refuse. And I think that's where, that's where I see things fall off. Right. And what I mean by that is you're the guy, right? You're the guy at refocus AI and it's your dream. It's your vision. You're the one that's building this product and you know what you want it to look like. But if you went through an acquisition at some point, how much of your, personal fingerprints are going to be on that finished product when you're done. Are you still going to be able to see your own vision through to completion? Or are you now going to have to be captive to what somebody else sees your product doing? And I think that we also, there's also another issue there with the people who are the startup entrepreneurs that they don't want to let go of that. They don't want it to turn into something else. You know, I, I think it's interesting because with, with technology, Independent insurance agents are independent for a reason. We want choices, right? It would be a heck of a lot easier for me to open up a captive office and just go sling that product all day, every day, Monday through Friday, handle a few claims here and there, but never have anything that I really have to worry about, you know, as far as running the agency. That's not how I'm wired, man, but that would be the easy way to do what we do. Instead, I'm independent. I want choices. I don't want somebody telling me which carriers I have to represent 
for my clients. I don't want somebody telling me this is the AMS you have to use or telling me this is the CRM or whatever else. So I think that when the, the software companies out there are making this move to consolidate, they need to be really, really careful because at some point, I got a feeling we're going to see a little bit of, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but I, I think the government's going to start looking into some of this stuff, man, because we're going to have some antitrust things happen or, you know, it just looks like there's, they're trying to make a monopoly of, of the technology. Okay. And I have an issue with that because if I wanted to just go and have one person tell me everything I was going to be able to use in my agency, then I would just go be captive and I wouldn't have to put up anywhere near as much money or anything else. But instead, that's where we're going is consolidation. And I mean, the multiples that are getting paid out and the acquisitions that are happening at a torrid pace are just not slowing down. And I don't know that that's good for the independent channel. I'm not saying that it's bad, I but I also don't know that it's good. I think that we, because what I see happening is you have people who end up starting products and not finishing them, right? They start and know that they're going to get acquired. So they get a bunch of buzz and then you get the people excited about it and they buy in. And the next thing you know, they're back with one of the 800 pound gorillas. And there's a lot of agents out there that don't want to be with one of the 800 pound gorillas, period. That's why better agencies making so many waves right now. And I think that's why it's important that when we think about building anything for insurance, we always think about how we can do it with the least amount of effort possible for the end user. I can do it with by eliminating portals, by eliminating APIs. And that's why I said we allow people to transact with us through email. They just send us a CSV and then we send them a processed Excel file with insights back and it takes all of two minutes. Why? Because everyone is email. You can do that with any system that exists in the world, even for the people out there that are still using Excel. It's the future is more flexibility. When I see who's really successful in this space, it's not insurance specific agency management systems, it's CRMs. HubSpot's a great example, Salesforce is another. Why are they so successful? Because they built an ecosystem so that ultimately people can invest in customizing their systems like you have with HubSpot, but still get the best choices out there of all compatible products. And that's not anything that we're seeing right now, really, in insurance. I have a company that, that we're working with. They just moved to Applied Epic. Like, this is their big thing. They, they left Vertifor. They went to Applied Epic. They're one year into a three, three and a half year move. And just think about that for a second, right? They're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on the software. They can't even use it yet. It's going to take three, three and a half traumatic years in order to make that change. And once they do, they still probably won't be that much better off than you know before they left, right? Because the grass isn't always greener on the other side if you're not able to plug in the best of all the different products that you want from marketing to texting to retention to cross-sell. I mean, you mentioned Aureus, right? I mean, like, why can't you plug in their product to any agency management system? Why can't you plug in our product into any agency management system? And it's because we need to get over this walled garden approach. And by doing that, they're actually encouraging and allowing better agency in a roundabout way to be successful because they're pushing people away from their world garden approach to platforms that are more open, extensible, newer software in the cloud. And so it's going to be a really interesting, you know, 10 year transition when some of those 800 pound gorillas maybe, maybe lose some of that, that excess fat because they have to start innovating. Otherwise they just won't be around to compete. How much of it is the companies and how much of it is the carriers? So the interesting thing for us is we actually work with just as many mutual carriers as we do independent agents. And one of the things we're saying from the mutual carriers perspective is they're building out tool sets to actually help their independent agents be more successful. And then they're embedding us into those, which is super interesting because they want to help their independent agents sell more of their products and services and retain more of the policies that they wrote through you know, that specific mutual. And they don't see the independent agents right now getting the support they need with the agency management systems that are on the market. So they're starting to build out their own capabilities to help their agents sell more, retain more. And it's a really great thing to see. I don't know on the large carrier side if they really care. Because what large carrier right now doesn't have a direct-to-consumer approach? And I'm not 
for that, I think people need to work with independent agents because that advice and that relationship only strengthens their coverage and their protection over time. But why would a large, you know, direct-to-consumer company who also does some work with independent agents promote that? Because ultimately, there's less commission in it for them, and they're all about cutting dollars and cents. So um, I think where we need to go as an industry is really support the carriers that are building out support for independent agents, maybe give them the best business, right? Promote promote them as the sort of carriers of choice, and then work with the technology companies that are trying to help people get the solutions that are best fit for them and not the best fit for the solution provider. So what's on the horizon just want, for you? What are you most well, excited about? Hold on, hold on one second, Kyle. Sorry. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I feel like, um, you know, you hear this all the time. Agents are out there throwing around the API, API. Why can't you get an API? Blah, 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 right? They don't even know what it means, number one. But it's also really, really difficult because you're dealing with, you know, every company in every state and every coverage line, like each one has its own. So, I mean, I can understand that it would be that much, you know, much of a pain in the butt to do. I just don't understand why the carriers don't seem to be more in line to facilitate the process of allowing technology to allow the agents in the carriers to work with each other more efficiently. I just don't understand that. Uh, And I think it's because no one has made them. I mean, the interesting thing in insurance is the people who hold the data, the influence and the ability to sell are the independent agents, right? And for whatever reason, we're in this weird sort of alternate universe where people think it's actually the carriers with all the influence. But if the independent agents of the United States of America got together and stood up and said, we are not going to write any more business with this carrier because we don't think they're friendly. They make our life, you know, for lack of a better word, a living hell. You have different portals and things that don't work. And uh, I think you would very quickly see a change. Um, but I... I think independent agents, by the nature of being independent, don't realize that they're actually part of a larger collective of other independent agents. And so, like I said, you know, you know, you see it in like consumer boycotting all the time, but support the, the mutual carriers, support the carriers that are actually only working with independent agents that don't have a direct-to-consumer play, right? Because those are the people that are trying to set themselves up and set independent agents up for success long-term. And I think, Kyle, to your question, you know, that's really where the future lies, you know, for us specifically as a technology provider, uh, we are constantly exploring new integrations. We have integrations with some agency management systems, uh, specifically on the wholesale side, which is really exciting because now with a single switch, we can start providing our, our retention insights to them with no integration, literally. And they don't even have to see us. We're just in the back end. And that's really where we see, you know, the future progressing and then moving, you know, from renewals into uh more prescriptive insights. So what can you do to retain this account actively? What's the sort of messaging you should be sending them? So that's the future. That's the next 10 years. Um, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of consolidation among carriers as well as uh, technology providers because they ultimately, if they're only going to acquire and they're not going to build an ecosystem, which is ultimately more profitable anyway, there's going to have to be some consolidation, otherwise it won't be around. So that'll be an interesting... I, I hope in 10 years I'll listen to this podcast and see if not I was correct. <laughs> well, I mean, I think what they're doing, and I, I actually said this to the CEO of one of the technology companies when I was talking to them, and the more that they try to consolidate, the more that they're lighting a fire underneath the entrepreneurial independent agent that's going to say, screw you, man. I don't need to come to your platform to get a solution to my problem. I'll go invent my own period. And that's what you're seeing. I mean, look at Todd Tams with Mod Advisor. That's exactly what he's doing. He got fed up with the status quo, said, screw it. I'm just going to go build my own thing and make it better than what's out there. And here's what I'm going to do. Hey, software companies, here's a real freaking novel concept. He talked to independent agents and asked them what they wanted. He went to them and said, what is it that you're missing? What's not in the things that are available now that do something similar to what I do that you need to see in order to buy my product? And he listened to them. Better Agency has an extremely active support group on Facebook. 
What do they do in there? They listen to their clients. They listen to their prospects to tell them this is what we need. We're not dealing with the people who are trying to cram it down your throat. That This is the solution. Run your business around the solution. That's bullshit. Run your business and design the solution around your business. That's what needs to happen. 100%. Couldn't agree more. If this mic wasn't wired to my desk, I would freaking drop it right now. <laughs> Just disappear. Black screen. Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, so, what have we missed? Go ahead, Kyle. Man? You're up. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, what else do you want to talk about? I feel like we've hammered a lot of different subjects. but Well, for those of you listening to the call that don't know what an API, it stands for Application Program Interface. Uh, and it just allows two different systems to talk to each other. Normally, it's a single credential that's passed back and forth and or enabled to, to, to access that information. One of the things we're seeing, though, is that these legacy companies are dealing with legacy architecture, right? So if you think about the top three companies you named, they may look shiny on the outside, right? That's their user interface. But in the back end, it's spaghetti code, right? Because they were built over 10 years ago. Before spaghetti all code is the worst. I hate spaghetti code. Spaghetti code. And I've seen some of this spaghetti code myself, and it's frightening. Uh, and ultimately now, if you look at a company like Salesforce, they have one API for everything. You can access every single thing in any database with one API. But the problem is if you have legacy companies that have been around for 20 years and weren't designed that way around microservices and modern architectures, for those of you that have no idea what microservices is, don't worry. It's just a better way of designing software. They have 45, 50, 70 APIs to access what a company now can do with one. And because of that, it's not easy for them to integrate with the system. They can't use our API because they have to try and get 70 APIs to speak to one. And so if these companies could finally get to the point where all these other, you know, more modern companies are, where it's one API for everything, I think we'd be a little bit more successful, but uh, they're not. And ultimately that's why we see, you know, legacy companies become legacy companies because it's, they're not legacy because they don't know how to change their legacy because they don't want to. Um, and so I, that's a really interesting sort of uh, how do you figure out which one is which and all these agency management systems tend to fall in the legacy bucket because they they don't want to change they're not willing to actually re-architect their core applications that were designed many 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 years ago oh dude they all look i mean well not all i know of the one that, that we use but i mean it's just it, it looks like you're in the library in 1993 trying to look up like what books they have in stock. It's nuts. Well, and I, you know, listen, I don't, I don't know why that is, but that's literally been every agency management I, system I know. that I've ever used. It's, it's yeah. not us, you know, picking out one company and, and beating on them. And I mean, why is that Colby? What do you think? I mean, is it because that, you know, and, and you don't need to throw anybody under the bus either, but I mean, is, is it because they're so focused on developing what they've already got and pushing it to the next level that they don't slow down and go back and sort of modernize things as they go? Or is it just literally impossible from a time and money standpoint to stop every six, you know, cause Listen, when you're building a software company, haven't built one before, but I got to believe it moves at a pretty quick pace. You're not going to be able to slow down. And, and, and that, you know, I just said better agencies really good about listening to their, their constituency. It's also a downfall, right? In my opinion, if you listen to every single thing that every person says and you try and, and act on that, you're you going to have a problem. It's never going to end. Wheeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too many, too many uh, cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, so there's a concept in, in in any anything that deals with software called technical debt, and the idea is the more code you build, the more code you have to maintain, and the more code you have to maintain, the more time you have to spend maintaining it. Meaning you can no longer innovate on new features. And so what we're seeing right now is that some of these companies have reached like almost 100% technical debt. They are so. I don't want to say paralyzed, right? But the, the, and I'll explain why they're paralyzed. They're, they're essentially paralyzed maintaining this legacy code base with languages that people don't use, and like software languages that people don't know anymore that aren't built using modern software development techniques. And because of that, because they're so paralyzed doing that internally, they literally are forced to buy because they themselves 
could not build a, you know, a mod advisor, David, just using your example. They literally don't have the resources to build that because they're spending all of their time just trying to keep the wheels on the bus, right? Trying to keep the system, for lack of a better word, stable because they don't have the resources to totally rebuild their software. And if you want an example of this, uh, Microsoft, it took them 10 years, about 10 years, to do this when they launched Office 365, which is their like new version of Word, PowerPoint, Excel. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Totally rebuilding from scratch. But however, in 10 or 15 years from now, they're going to have to do that again. And most companies don't have the bandwidth, the revenue, the expertise in order to successfully execute that. So they're literally stuck buying. They're, they're stuck buying the, the best of breed, trying to bolt it on in a haphazard way that maybe doesn't integrate all that well uh, and then move on to the next acquisition because they just don't have a better way of doing it. And so uh, I, I don't know. I just I don't see a lot of these big software providers in the insurance industry being around because better agency is going to move quick and consume their, their customer base. Why wouldn't you work with a system that actually fits what you want and doesn't overcharge you for features that don't work or aren't relevant to your business? I don't know. Um, that's just my perspective. No, I think it's it's relatively accurate. I don't, I don't think you're the only one who has that perspective. So let's hope everybody does better. Well, listen, man, you've been generous with your time. Kyle, you have anything else before we wrap this thing up? I don't think so, man. I'm fixing to go uh, find out go, how much damage get, I've done to my skin with the sun over the last get year. Sliced. Every time I go yeah. to the dermatologist, they slice some shit off me. It's awesome. Oof. Oh, yeah. It's, it's mandatory. Right. It's like it, 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 Yeah, it's like going to the express oil place and they tell you you need an air filter. It's going to happen. You're going to need an oil filter and wiper blades every single time. Like, I went there one time and I had just replaced my wiper blades like two days before. And the guy said, oh, you're going to need an upgrade on your wiper blades. Nah, I don't think I am, friend. <laughs> but awesome. guess what? I bet they sell them. You know why? Because they ask for the order and people buy. People don't know True. how to say no. They get asked the question and they're like, you know what? Maybe I do need to have this guy fix that air filter. I don't have time to go to Wally World and then look at that thing, that, that manual that looks like the yellow pages that I have to sort through and find my year, make, and model so I can look at the size number and then go through this labyrinth of air filters on the on the shelves over here to find the right one. I just did my own uh, – I had a bit of a, a rooster incident in Key West that uh, I parked under a <laughs> tree and the rooster did. just absolutely We don't destroyed. have those in San Diego, by the way. That's the, that's definitely a difference. Yeah, absolutely destroyed my car, my wife's car, <laughs> thankfully. And we had to go to a car wash. But in the process, I was like, holy crap. True story, actually. I was supposed to fly out of Key West to San Diego that Friday and ended up canceling my trip. And I went while we were there, got the car washed, and then changed the wiper blades because I didn't want her to drive home with the kids by herself while I was on a plane not having good wiper blades. It was a process, dude. You go into advanced auto parts. Like, I had to find the model. Then I realized that apparently that's a really popular model number. I went right down the line, five or six different varieties of wiper blade before I found one that was in stock. Did you go with the Rain-X ones? No, I didn't. Not available. Mm. My favorite. It's the best. Yeah, not available. I went with the Midline Bosch, uh, as a matter of fact. is, Is what I went with. So... Well, listen, man, I'm going to let you run, Colby. I appreciate you coming on with us. I hope that everybody out there is strapping on their seatbelts to watch the growth spike of Refocus AI. I wish you nothing but the best, man, and hope that you just can keep doing what you're doing, man, making changes, and you're going to make the insurance industry and the independent channel better as a result. So thanks for coming on and spending some time with us today. Of course. Thanks for having me, David. Kyle, great to meet you as well. Good deal. Everybody else, later. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs> <laughs>